Well, church, I love you. And uh, I couldn't think of a better place to be to celebrate my son's birth than preaching to the people that I love. And uh, it's funny because the Lord has a a way of doing his things. Uh, uh, I was supposed to preach next week, and I was going to preach this week, but earlier this week, <clears throat> when we were talking, um, we came with the strategy that maybe it was better for me to preach this week because, you know, my son would be born next week. <laughs> and uh, I guess God had better plans, Right? So um, I want to ask you to please forgive me. I don't have any PowerPoint notes for you this morning. Um, So pay close attention. Okay? Okay? Let us pray. Father, I I want to acknowledge this morning, Lord, that I'm a weak man. We are all weak. Lord, I am weak physically, mentally, spiritually. My preparation is weak. But Father, I trust you because you are our rock and our salvation, our refuge. And Father, you are faithful to us. And so, Father, I trust that in my weakness, you will be strong. I trust, Father, that you will strengthen us through the preaching of your word. You, Father, through your word, will build your church. And so, Lord, we come and we rejoice. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, come. Strengthen us. Speak to us. Reveal to us the precious Son of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my message this morning, I've entitled it, uh, The Anchor of Our Salvation. And it's from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So if you could turn there, Hebrews Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's read our text this morning. It says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to His will. Amen. Amen. Now, church, on January 26th, Through January 30th, 
of this year, the pastoral staff of this church took a trip to Minneapolis, Minnesota to, bi- to visit Bethlehem Baptist Church with the goal of learning more about integrated model of Hispanic ministry. Some of you got the pictures of the winter wonderland that Al, Corey, Jason, and myself found ourselves in, right? It was a great trip. It was a very fruitful trip, extremely beneficial to our church. And if you come tonight, you will get a report of how beneficial it was. But this morning, I want to be self-disclosing with the people that I love and let you know that underneath all my rough, manly persona, There was a terrified little boy dreading this trip. You see, I love everything this trip was about, all that it represented. I mean, I love John Piper. Love being with the man that I love working with. Love thinking about you and God and what God is doing in you. But I was scared, guys. I was scared. Scared because being able to enjoy all these things meant having to walk into an airport and into an airplane that is headed into blizzard land. And this might sound a little funny to you, but Jose Prado, airplanes and snow don't mix very well. Let's just say that flying is not my favorite thing to do and snow doesn't help the cause. And so because of my fear of flying, I often, when flying, devote myself to paying close attention to the stewardess. Such was the case on our flight back home. As the plane starts moving away from the terminal, the little recorded message comes on on the screen. Actually, now they have a video, and a stewardess stands like right in front of the video. And then she starts pointing to the emergency exits. And she starts telling us how if this plane was to uh, have an emergency landing, here are the exits. And then she starts telling us how to fasten your seatbelts. I mean, everybody knows how to fasten the seatbelt, but I'm paying close attention because I want to know exactly what I need to do in order to survive in case this plane has to have an emergency landing. She tells us about the oxygen mask. And so I'm enjoying this video. I'm enjoying it so much that I almost feel like even asking questions to make sure I understand all the safety procedures regarding the flight. But church, to my amazement, as I observe those around me, I realize that no one else cares. I mean, everybody's got their iPod on or they are reading their book or their magazine, they are talking to one another. I mean, honestly, no one pays attention to the stewardess and the videotape they play for you. Nobody listens to them in spite of the fact that she is trying to get you out of life. That's all she's trying to do. She's trying to get you out of the plane alive, yet everyone neglects her message as if it's not worthy of their attention. Even though everything the stewardess is sharing is a matter of first importance because it's a matter of life and death, we often ignore it and treat it casually. We act if we already know everything there is to know or if we have nothing to gain from listening to her. My brothers and sisters, we don't only do this 
with flight attendants. But we do also do this with God. You see, in the turbulence of our lives, we become apathetic and indifferent to God's message of salvation. We go our Christian lives like careless passengers in danger of dying. And the author of Hebrews is speaking right into this situation. You see, persecution has tempted them to neglect Jesus. It has tempted them to question whether or not following Jesus is worth the trouble. And so the same way we look at the stewardess and question, do I really need to listen to all this rubbish? They were also tempted to look at Jesus and question, do we really need him? And so maybe you sit this morning here, and this same question has gone through your mind. You maybe look at others and you say, man, they, they make such a big deal about Jesus. Maybe Jesus has become just, just your get-out-of-hell card. You treat him like, like, like you would treat your will or the title of your car or the deed of your house. You signed it once, and, it was in a, and now it's in a file drawer somewhere in your heart. My friends, I want you to pay close attention this morning because God, through our text this morning, is once again drawing our attention to the great salvation we have in Jesus. And instead of being apathetic and indifferent to it, He is calling us to be devoted to it. And this is how he says it in verse 1. He says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. To paraphrase it for us in a faithful yet perhaps easier for us to understand in the modern English language, this text is telling us this. And this is what this text is, is telling us as a whole. He, he is saying this. Devote yourself to God's great salvation. Church, devote yourself to God's great salvation. What Hebrews is saying here is that in the Christian life, we must go on listening to God's word in Jesus. And we must do this with very close attention. We cannot treat this casually. We cannot act as if we already know all we need to know, or that we have nothing to gain from listening to Jesus. There is urgency here in this text, my friends. He is being urgent. Literally, he is saying to us, it is exceedingly necessary that we give heed or that we devote ourselves to what we have heard. It is not just an option that you can do if you're especially spiritual or if you have a crisis in front of you or if you're a pastor and you're preparing yourself a sermon. It is necessary for all of us. And this is also not an isolated command in this chapter, but it is, it is the very heart of the book of Hebrews. It is the concern in the heart of God for all who are being tempted to neglect His Son. It is God's call to wake up and listen closely to this message of salvation. The message is Jesus. Let me give you some examples, okay? Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, 
Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. That's the very echo of the point of our text. Listen to him. Consider him. Focus on him. Stay close to him. Keep him in your thoughts. Learn more and more from him every day. What he is like. What he says. How he sees the world. And then again in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, the author says to us, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Doing what? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. There it is again. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus. Listen to Jesus. And this is God's desire for us, church, that we would be completely devoted to his son. That we would treasure his salvation. That we would give serious, sustained attention to the salvation accomplished by him. That we would love it and think about it and meditate on it and marvel at it and feel continual gratitude for it and commend it to others as valuable. And that we would weave it into all the lesser things of our lives and set our hopes on it. On it. This is what pay much closer attention to what we have heard is. God doesn't want us to neglect everything we have in Jesus. He doesn't want us sitting in the airplane of our lives, distracted by all the inferior messages of our circumstances, while neglecting the supreme message of God's salvation, His Son, Jesus Christ. But you know what I love about our God? I love that He doesn't just give us a command. But he carefully surrounds this command with these overwhelming reasons why. And so this is two things that we're going to see in this text. Two points. We are going to see why. Why do we devote ourselves to this great salvation? And we are going to see how. How do we do it? So let's look at point number one, the why. Okay? The why. And in the why, what we see in this text is we're going to see two separate whys. God is so kind to us. He gives us a positive why. And then he gives us a negative why. So let's look at the positive first. Positive. Why? Why are we to devote ourselves to God's great salvation? Because it is a great salvation. That's why. Now look with me there, if you, if you have your ESB Bible, the word that, it, that he uses at the beginning of verse 1, he says, therefore. Now I know this is a cliche by now, but still worth repeating that. Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is therefore, therefore? And so therefore, for the most part, it's like a flashing arrow that urges you to back up to to go back to something already said, already written, which, which gives us the reasons for the conclusion that the writer or speaker is now giving us right now. Okay? So in this, in, the case, in this case, the conclusion is this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Therefore, seeing these things, we need to back up and think about what we have just been said. And when we do we recall that in the previous verses, last week, as Corey preached, 
the writer has been highlighting the huge contrast between Jesus and the angels. And prior to that, when Al preached, he was contrasting Jesus and the prophets. And in so doing, he has painted this amazing portrait of Jesus as the divine sovereign creator, God. In fact, the whole chapter of chapter 1 is a declaration, a celebration of God's final word to the world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The chapter begins long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is the point of chapter 1. Something utterly stupendous happened in the coming of the Son of God. And this is Hebrews' way of saying what John said in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, God, the Son, took on human form as God's final, decisive word to the world. And as we learn, not, not, that, it, not that God has not spoken since then, but final and decisive in that Jesus came, and since Jesus came, all that God has to say is rooted in Jesus. All that God has to say points towards Jesus. All that God has to say is proven by the conformity to Jesus. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus. Beyond what the Old Testament told us, whatever we need to know about God and how he relates to our lives, we learn from what we hear and see in God's final decisive word, Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews 1 is all about. The final word of God, Jesus Christ. If we were to summarize chapter 1, it says this. It says the Son of God is the heir of all things. He made the world. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He made purification for sin. He sat at the right hand of God's majesty and he is greater than any angel because angels worship him. He is the mighty God. That's the message of chapter 1. God has spoken by his son, and his son is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the owner. He is the ruler. He is the redeemer of the world. And this is the very reason why we are to be devoted to God's great salvation. Because there is nothing greater. To be devoted to anything else more than Jesus is like eating mud while sitting at the king's table. My friends, it is idolatry. It is worshiping and setting your affections on the creation while neglecting the wonderful creator. And I have had people in the past tell me, why is God so concerned with our devotion to him? Is he some sort of narcissistic glory hog? Why the huge deal with devoting ourselves to God's great salvation? Why should we not neglect it? Well, I want us to think about it this way, okay? It's not as if God is saying, it's not as if God is saying, don't neglect your arthritis or don't neglect your balding scalp, scalp you know? 
Or don't neglect your, your spinach or your carrots. No, 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 no. You see, that's not what he is saying. God is saying, don't neglect your salvation, your great salvation. So it's, 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 it's more like this. It's like God is saying, don't neglect your steak dinners. Don't neglect your cancer healing therapy. Don't neglect your sunrises and your sunsets. Don't neglect your new baby smile. Don't neglect your rocky mountains or your safe, warm bed. Only it's even better than all these things. It is a great salvation. Devote yourself to God's great salvation. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect being loved by God. Don't neglect being forgiven and accepted and protected and strengthened and guided by Almighty God. Don't neglect the sacrifice of Christ's life on the cross. Don't neglect the free gift of righteousness imputed by faith. Don't neglect the removal of God's wrath and the reconciled smile of God that shines upon you. Don't neglect the indwelling Holy Spirit and the fellowship and friendship of the living Christ. Don't neglect the radiance of God's glory in the face of Jesus. Don't neglect the free access to the throne of grace. Don't neglect the inexhaustible treasures of God's promises. This is a great salvation. Neglecting it is evil. God is not a narcissist. God offers you and calls you to devote yourself to the very source of the greatest need. This is an act of a loving God, not a glory hog. Don't neglect so great a salvation, my friends. There is nothing greater to devote ourselves to. This is the positive reason why we devote to God's great salvation. But there is a second reason in our text, and there is nothing positive about it. This is the second reason, the negative one. We devote to God's great salvation because we are in danger of drifting without escape. Look with me back to verse 1. He says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Right? Lest we drift away from it. The very next phrase in verse 1 is, it is a warning. Lest we drift away from it. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. The first reason is paying close attention because what we have heard is God's word through his son. It is the son is infinitely greater, even greater than the angels and the prophets. But now comes the second reason for paying close attention to what we have heard of God's word through his son. If we don't do this, we will drift into destruction. Now consider this word drifting. It means to float by. It, it, it's, it's what a piece of bark or a leaf or a dead fish does in a river. It floats by the boat that is being rowed upstream. It takes no life and no motion to float by, does it? One needed only do nothing, and you will just float by. You will just drift. So Hebrews is saying to us that if we do not vigilantly pay closer attention to the word of God, we will float by. 
We will drift away from God's word. Now, I think we all know people. That this has happened to. Some might even be in this room right now. Or at some point have been with us. There is no urgency, no vigilance, no focus listening or considering or fixing the eyes on Jesus. And so the result has not been a standing still but a drifting away. And this is the point here, my friends. There is no standing still. The life, this, the life of this world is not a quiet lake. It is a flowing river, and it is flowing downward to destruction. And so if we do not listen earnestly to Jesus and consider him daily and fix our eyes on him hourly, then we will not stand still. We will drift. Ultimately, to neglect God's great salvation is to drift into destruction. There is a point of no return. And this is what the author of Hebrews is so urgently communicating to his audience, which includes us this morning. He is saying, listen, listen, listen. Do not neglect the great salvation of God. This is the very thing that you are in the greatest need of. And if you neglect it, you will be destroyed. I can almost picture him writing this sermon with with tears in his eyes as he contemplates those who he is warning. And just so they would understand the severity of neglecting Jesus, he reminds them of the message that their ancestors received. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. He says, just a minute. He says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, he is giving them a history lesson. And he is saying to them, Remember when God spoke to your ancestors? Do you remember? Do you remember the message from God to them declared by angels? In other words, do you remember the law given by God through the declaration of angels? Do you remember when God spoke through angels, his word proved what? It proved steadfast. His word proved faithful. His word proved reliable. And every transgression and act of disobedience received a just retribution. Now, if that happened when God spoke through the mere prophets and angels, how much more should we pay attention when he speaks to us through his son? And this is the point that he's trying to make. Don't we think that his word will prove just as steadfast today? Don't we think that his word will prove just as reliable to us today? Don't we think that every unrepentant transgression and act of disobedience will still receive a just retribution? In other words, the second reason for this warning is, dare we neglect the word of God spoken to us through his son? That's the point. And the lesson is for us too. 
he is reminding us that in the Old Testament, God did not yet speak directly through his son on earth. In the past, he spoke through the mediation of messengers. And Hebrews says angels were involved in the revelation of God's word. And we can attest to that if we go to different passages. In fact, Paul in Galatians 3.19 actually tells us that the law was placed by angels. But nevertheless, the firmness of this mediated word was so great that every neglect and rejection of it was punishable with a just retribution. But now to us, something much greater has come. God has spoken to us not through angels, but unmediated through a son. God himself stood forth from heaven in Jesus and spoke a great salvation with his lips and his life and his death and his resurrection. And now this writer says to us, if we neglect this great salvation, this great word of God, we are much more guilty than the Old Testament people who disobeyed the word of God given through angels. And if they did not escape retribution, his question for us is, how shall we escape if we neglect? This great salvation. Now, not only does the writer want his readers to compare the situation of their ancestors to their own by comparing what they have received, but rather, he also wants his readers to know that the message that we all have received is also a reliable message. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. He says, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. This is what the writer is telling us, guys. He's saying this. He's saying, If the message declared by angels has proved its reliability, What more can God do to prove the reliability of the message spoken through His Son? This message was declared by the Lord Himself, God the Son. And as we saw last week, it wasn't a mere angel speaking it, it was the Lord Himself. The message was then attested to us by those who heard it. The Greek word for attested can also be interpreted as it was confirmed to us. It was, it was witnessed to us by those who heard it at first hand. All those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus and his teaching, the disciples. But it doesn't stop there. Not only did the eyewitnesses bear witness of this great message, but God the Father himself bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. My friends, what more can God do? If we choose to neglect God's great salvation, we will have no excuse and therefore no escape. The historical, moral, and spiritual reality of God's great salvation has been displayed. It has been confirmed. It has been witnessed. Any lack of conviction on our part, any neglect of this great salvation is completely on us. Neglecting this salvation is like neglecting the stewardess instructions for safety in an airplane that is sure to crash. You see, we might get away with not paying attention to a flight attendant 
Because the percentage of our flight crashing is one out of 5.1 million. But my friends, the percentage of your life coming to an end is 100%. Would you not pay close attention to the flight attendant if you were 100% sure that your plane was going down? Devote yourself to Christ. He is a great salvation. But Jose, how how do we do this? How do we do this? And so I'm going to try to help us see how from our text, okay? Point number two, the how. The first thing that we see in our text is that we need to be aware of drifting. So let's go back to verse one, and we see that the result of not being devoted to this great salvation is drifting away from it. And as I said earlier, our Christian life is not a peaceful lake, but a flowing river, and rivers have currents. And so to be devoted to this great salvation is to be anchored in it. And not just being tossed by the currents of the river. So I want to point out some of these currents for us so that we can be aware of currents in our lives. Okay, Currents that can cause us to drift. And there are several, 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 sorry. Uh, My brain is slowing down. Several currents that can cause us to drift. And I just want us, I want to point out a few for us. The first I would like to suggest is the current of weariness. And in Galatians 6, 9, Paul expresses concern for the weariness in which we grow weary of doing good things. He said, and let us not grow weary while doing good. And for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. You see, it is not uncommon for us to lose some of the fervor of our devotion as time gently passes and we grow weary. Do you remember how this was one of the things the Lord helped um, the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2 when he says to them that they have lost their first love? You see, the danger is that we can begin to rest on our past accomplishments and stop pressing forward as Paul encourages us to do in passages like Philippians chapter 3. And so my question to you this morning is, where are you growing weary in your devotion to God's great salvation? Where has Father Time pressed on you? And you're weary and tempted to give up. The next current we need to be aware of is familiarity. And as we become familiar with the truth, it, it may become commonplace to us. We may lose our appreciation of it. We may begin to take it for granted. As, and as we do so, we become just like the Ephesian church. And we too abandon the love we had at first. And so I want to ask to you, you, are you as passionate 
or more passionate about God today as when you first received his great salvation? Or has your love drifted? But there is also a current of society. It is not amazing how the ties of modern opinion can so easily influence us. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, he says this to us. He says, bad company ruins good morals. And so we are bombarded daily by secular humanism, false religions, and even marginal Christianity that offers itself as truth. And so it is hard to maintain our course. And such things can easily move us away from the great salvation of God. And so I want to ask you, are there areas in your life that do not conform to the truths of the gospel? Perhaps you have neglected the message of Jesus and you have embraced the message of this man-centered world we live in. Then there is the current of the flesh. Our warfare is not only outside of us, but it's also within us. And Peter pleads to us in 1 Peter 2, 11, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You see, our flesh is constantly waging war against our soul, against the Spirit who wants us to follow Him and be devoted to this great salvation. So where are you devoting yourself to the passions of the flesh? Instead of devoting yourself to God's great salvation. Maybe in the area of lust. Maybe in the area of greed. You allow these to rule your life instead of the great salvation whom you have heard. And then there is simply the current of daily concerns. And this is the last one I want to point out to you. There is no denying that the constant pressure of the daily cares, anxieties, and and duties that we have can distract us. This is exactly what these Hebrew audience were facing. They had concerns for their very lives that they were being threatened by those who persecuted them. And so they were growing anxious. Where are you becoming anxious? You are heavily burdened with the troubles of this world. And in your afflictions, you are drifting from the only source of your comfort and safety. Do not drift. Listen, pay very close attention and devote yourself to Christ. In Christ, we have a a great salvation. One that is sure to comfort us. One that is sure to satisfy us. One that is sure to delight us. One that is sure to bring us home safe. Then we see how, how, how else do we do this, Jose? Well, we do it. We identified where we're drifting. And then we do it by devoting and not neglecting. Devoting and not neglecting. Well, my friends, devotion encompasses so many things. I mean, we could, we could have many sermons about devotion. But I want to tell you one thing. It is, it is much about the heart as it is about your life. 
And this morning, I want to point out to your attention in our text, verse 2. And verse 2 is going to talk to us about devotion. This is what verse 2 says. It says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. You say, Jose, I don't see the word devotion there anywhere. Well, I bring you back to this text because this text tells us that the message declared by angels, in other words, just as we have seen speak, just as we were speaking earlier, this message, the Mosaic law, proved to be reliable. Why did it prove to be reliable? Well, it proved to be reliable because God did just as he promised he would do. He promised he would keep his covenant and he would give a just retribution to those who broke it. And that's exactly what God did. God proved to be faithful to his people. And that's the reason why Moses addresses the people in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 9 concerning the message they had received. And this is what he says to them, okay? And this is what I want us to do, guys, okay? As I read these verses. This is what devotion to God's great salvation looks like. This is what it looks like. It says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today the law, okay, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk to them of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them at the sign on your hand and they shall be as a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is what it meant to Moses to devote yourself to God's law, God's message, God's message for them. This is also what they failed to do. And is why the author reminds us that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. It is exactly what they failed to do that we must guard ourselves from doing. We can't afford to neglect this great salvation communicated by God in His Son. If, and if, if the law delivered by angels was worthy of all His devotion, how much more is the message that we have received? Now, my friends, I know how overwhelming hearing all this can become. But the wonderful thing about this text is that it communicates to us the very source by which we can do what Israel failed to do. Look with me to verse 4. It says, 
while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. My friends, the great salvation that we have received in Christ is the very source of our ability to be devoted. In this verse, the author reminds us that God in Christ has distributed the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. You see, we can be devoted to God's great salvation because God in Christ is devoted to us. The only reason why we can even hear this great salvation with the ears of our heart is because God himself bore witness in our hearts through the miracles, to the miracle of conversion. And not only that, not only did he do that, but he also has given us his Holy Spirit according to his will. We can be confidently repent of our neglect and devote ourselves because this great salvation enables us to do so. And so why do we devote ourselves to God's great salvation? Because it is a great salvation. It is so great that it enables us to be able to devote ourselves to it. That's how we do it. We don't do it in our own power. Just as you received it and you had nothing to do with it. The same way, God empowers you to be devoted to it. That is why we can do it. So let's have faith, church. This is a great salvation. It is great. Yesterday, I had the privilege, I was uh, preparing my sermon, um, and then my wife calls me and tells me, I think it's time, and so we go to the hospital, we get there, she's five centimeters already, and uh, 40 minutes later, she was seven, and I mean, it just went fast, you know, and so... The baby's born, and guys, this is, I know you that have had this wonderful experience of welcoming a child into this world, you can, um, you can relate with me, just watching my wife uh, giving birth, and the baby comes out, and it's just a precious baby. It's just a precious baby, precious son. But you know what, guys? As precious as my son is to me, and seeing him come into this world, this beautiful thing only reminds me that there is a greater son. And God himself gave his son the most precious being that could ever have existence 
God sent his son and he came into the world and he was given to us. And so, as precious as my son is, Jesus is more precious. How can I not devote myself to him? How can I neglect him? But we have the joy and the gift through the Holy Spirit to be able to repent and to devote our lives to Christ. Let us pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your precious gift to us. I want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God, our Redeemer, our Creator, our Sustainer, our Owner. He is everything to us. Father, I pray that you would Make him that in our hearts, Lord. Our flesh battles against it, Lord, but we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would draw our hearts to him, that you would, Father, just draw our attention fully to him, that we may devote ourselves, our lives, that everything we think about, everything we talk about, everything we desire, we would find in him. Lord, thank you for your mercy and kindness in your son to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.